Good Friday. And uh, I'm going to take this moment to share some thoughts for us this Good Friday really come from the last three words that Jesus has recorded as saying from the cross in the Gospel of John. But first, I want to take you to a quote I read just this week that I loved from a man by the name of William H. Willimon. He wrote a piece called Thank God It's Friday, encountering the seven last words from the cross. And, and he said this, he said, despite our earnest efforts, we couldn't climb all the way up to God. So what did God do? In an amazing act of condescension on Good Friday, God climbed down to us, became one with us. The story of divine condescension begins on Christmas and ends on Good Friday. We thought if there's to be business between us and God, we must somehow get up to God. And then God came down, down to the level of the cross all the way down to the depths of hell. He who knew not sin took on our sin that we might be free of it. You know, the incarnation, as we call it, God in the flesh appearing. Incarnation is something that we, we typically speak about at Christmas time. When we think of the baby born, when we, when we speak of Emmanuel, God with us the incarnation, God in the flesh. But it struck me as I prepared for this Good Friday service that perhaps there is no more stunning expression of His incarnation than Jesus' death. Jesus didn't just come as a baby and He didn't just come as a man to live among us, but the incarnation went so far, the divine condescension, as Willimon called it, went so far as to his death on the cross. Struck me as I thought about his life this week that, that Jesus doesn't come to live large among us. He doesn't even come, so to speak, to experience the best of his creation through our eyes. In other words, he doesn't come to live like a God. <laughs> How we might imagine at least a God would come to live. No, he stoops to experience the very worst of his fallen creation. Can we even comprehend a God that comes to live among his creation, that comes not only to dwell among us, but voluntarily endures even the cross as payment for our sins? Because cast your mind for a moment over Jesus' life. Jesus healed the sick, he, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, he even raises the dead. He'd been loved and honored. Just a week before, they'd shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, as he entered the city. He lived with selfless, miraculous generosity. And then this terrible twist, he's betrayed. He's denied justice, he's abandoned by his friends denied by some, falsely accused, he's beaten, he's tortured, he's stripped, he's mocked. His meager possessions are stolen, he's paraded through the streets, and then in agony, he's crucified. And the pinnacle of the story, the moment of his crucifixion, we find in John chapter 19, verses 
28 to 30, it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. You know, the truth is, those three words change everything. It is finished. His last three words in the Gospel of John, his last words from the cross, it is finished. It's not, he didn't say, I am finished. This is not a moment of defeat. It's a victory cry. It is finished. This is, these are not the last desperate words of an exhausted man, maybe in some ways relieved that this physical battle that he's in, which I can't imagine the pain is about to be over. That's not what he's saying. My suffering is finished. No, because the point is they didn't take Jesus' life. Nobody took anything from him. And Jesus didn't lose his life. He gave his life. And there's all the world of difference. Nobody took his life. He didn't lose his life. He gave it. He gave it willingly. He gave it as one who had all the legions of heaven's angels at his disposal. And he chose the cross. I wonder how you and I, I pondered this this week. How would you and I wield that kind of supreme power? <laughs> Scary to think about. Here's Jesus wielding all of heaven's angel armies at his disposal. And with such restraint, he suffers on the cross to his own detriment. I wonder if I would have made it past the first slap or the first insult before I unleashed the angels. Why does he do it? <laughs> Why this incredible restraint? I tell you what it was, is unfathomable love for you and I. This unfathomable love that causes him to lay aside by choice all of that divine, supreme, omnipotent power and suffer in our place. Romans 5 verses 6 to 10 says, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by His blood. By the way, that's what He meant when He said, it is finished. Since we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if... While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, the real meaning behind it is finished what Romans speaks of being justified by his blood is to understand the word that Jesus said from the cross, the Greek word 
was tetelestai. Tetelestai, which we translate it is finished. It's an accounting term, actually. In Jesus' day, if you had an invoice or a bill, an account, when the account was paid, you wrote tetelestai, which meant paid in full. So what is it that Jesus is saying from the cross as he as he surrenders, as he gives up his spirit and he declares over you and I, tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. He speaks of the debt that we owed. He writes over the debt that we owed, that all of mankind owed to a holy father, our debt, wiped away, paid in full, settled, done. Tetelestai, it is finished. Can we praise God that it is finished? It's as if he wrote it in his own blood. Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full, settled our account before God. You ever had somebody pay a bill for you? Maybe you've been at a restaurant, you know, when you go, you ask the server for the check at the end, there's a sort of a confusing moment because, oh, somebody paid it for you. And you've got that, you're looking around the restaurant, is there somebody here that I know? And it's kind of a nice feeling, but that's not what we're talking about here. As nice as that is, for somebody to pay your meal, that's not a good analogy because hopefully you were fully intending to pay that and able to pay that. It wasn't a dine and dash situation, right? You ate that food knowing at the end that you would pay for it. So that doesn't work. But what, if, what, if, what about a big bill, like a crazy big sort of soul crushing bill? Have you ever had one of those? One of those messy, tangled, never-ending, will we ever get out from this, kind of a dark cloud, kind of a debt. And maybe it's a mess that came upon you, some market crash, some business failure. Maybe it's a mess of your own making, the credit cards got away from you. I, I, a couple of years ago, walked through an audit with the IRS. That was a fun thing. I remember, you know, starting to walk through that process and getting a new accountant. And I remember the wave after wave of bad news that she delivered to me about things that weren't done right. And it was like musical chairs and I'm still standing and there's no chair. All the advisors who told me, do it this way, set it up that way. They're not there anymore. Just me and my new accountant and the IRS. And I remember thinking about all of her hours and how much I paid her per hour. That's all racking up. I remember every time she turned something over, it was like pulling a new thread that unraveled something else that fell apart. And how many years would be affected. And I remember trying to calculate, like, when are we ever going to get out from under this? And I remember thinking how crushing it was in that moment. It didn't matter how so-called innocent the mistakes were or if they were founded on bad advice that the law is the law and the IRS is the IRS. But I remember that day that I got in the mail the letter that said I had received a no-change audit. Wiped it out. And to this day, I just think, number one, that was the grace of God. <laughs> number two, I am grateful for having a good accountant. But at the end of the day, there was all kinds of things that they could have stung me for. And thank you, Jesus, that dark cloud rolled on and I came out from under the power of that debt. But that's not a good analogy either, is it? Really for what we're talking about here. As much as that was a weight off my soul and a tough time to walk, walk through, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, talking about is our unexplainable, our 
indefensible sin before a holy and righteous God. We're talking about the debt we owed that we could never repay. What if I was to take a pad and a pen and start to write down one by one as they came back to me my sins? What if I listed out and understood that Christ paid for them, paid in full every one of them on the cross? What if I wrote out all the times I could remember my lying and my lusting, my greed and my pride, my disobedience and my dishonor, my worst thoughts and my darkest deeds, and I wrote them all out. And then I, and then I heard the words of Jesus over all of that to say, finished, a bill I could never pay, the punishment for which the sin was due was my death, and instead he dies in my place, the one who'd never sinned, who knew no sin, dies instead of me, his blood instead of mine, and says, Tetelestai, it is finished. You know, centuries before Christ even came, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 5, he foretold of Jesus' coming. Listen to these words, centuries before Christ came to earth. It says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. And like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. That's why, although we call it Good Friday, we call it Good Friday because it was for our good. That's why there's a holy reverence. It's, it's not necessarily somber, but it's a holy awe that we have of the price that Jesus paid for us with his own blood, that we could be made right, we could be called sons and daughters of the Most High God with our debt paid in full. N.T. Wright said of Jesus, He has gone to the very bottom, to the darkest and deepest place of ruin and planted there the sign that says rescued. It's the sign of love, the love of the Creator for His ruined creation the love of the Savior for His ruined people. And yes, of course, it all has to be worked out and the victory has to be implemented, but it's done. It's completed. It's finished. Soren Kierkegaard said, Christ has not only spoken to us by His life, but He's also spoken for us by His death. So before we pray, let me read you one last scripture tonight. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 presents us a choice, I suppose. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and 
the truth is not in us. But come on, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I guess the key word is if. If He gives us this divine choice, sends his son, pays the price, declares, if we'd only receive it, it is finished. If, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So church, here's the thing too, before I pray. You know, many of us in this room live in vibrant, relationship with Jesus. He's our Lord, our Savior, our King, our friend. We follow Him. We've invited what He did on the cross to be payment for our redemption. He bought us back from the power of our debt and death. We've learned that from Him. But tonight, perhaps this Good Friday, this Easter weekend, there are people in this room that today, this Good Friday is your day to get right with God. So what do we do? that's you tonight. Two things. Our hearts play is simple. Number one, we confess our sin, our need of a Savior. Number two, we receive Christ's sacrifice on the cross as payment for our debt. Text. It is finished. And I invite every person to do me 